Well, good day, everybody, and welcome once again to Connect Church Online. As always, it is such a privilege and a blessing to be able to unpack God's Word with you. I really hope that you've had a fantastic Christmas season, that your New Year was good and relaxed, you got to spend time with friends and family, and that you're looking forward to 2021, despite what 2020 had in store for us. One of the really fantastic things about being a follower of the Lord Jesus is that we know we can have hope despite our circumstances, and no matter what 2020 throws our way. But in thinking about 2020 and the first message essentially that I get to preach for this year, I was really led to 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16, something that is on my heart, that's been on my heart for some time, and something I really feel the Lord wants to encourage us with as we look forward into the future and as we move together as God's people into the unknown. Uh, the book of Timothy is, is, is written by Paul to Timothy, one of Paul's disciples. And he's writing to him to encourage him to do two things. Because of the season and the times that they were living in, uh, God's word was being challenged. Uh, The doctrines of Christianity were being challenged and people were moving from one teaching to the next, from one extreme to the next, and really chucking out sound doctrine altogether and weren't really living the way that they said they were supposed to be living or claimed to be living as Christians. And so Paul warns Timothy and he says this, Pay close attention to yourself or more encourages him and implores him. He says, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, at this point in his letter to Timothy, Paul really, like I said, gets, gets personal with Timothy. But he, he doesn't just get personal with Timothy We are in Paul's peripheral vision as he writes this to Timothy, as he thinks about the church. Now, the church will grow. And most certainly the sovereign God who inspired the writing of this had us in mind as we read it today. It's a sovereign God who wants to uh, call us into deeper relationship with him, who wants to protect us as Paul wanted to protect Timothy, who, who wants to see us grow and flourish and overflow with the things of the kingdom the way Paul wanted to see Timothy do the same. As Paul writes to Timothy, it's really personal about this twofold command or this twofold job that he gives to Timothy. So God is speaking to us about the same thing and saying, there are two things I want you to do well moving forward into the future. Not the only two things, but these things are really important. Watch your life and watch your doctrine closely, as it says in the NIV. This really is so relevant because we've moved into a culture into a day and an age that we are called postmodern. Some would even say we've moved beyond the postmodern era. And really, essentially, what that has meant is that historic biblical teaching has fallen by the wayside. New theologies have taken over and taken their place. And, and, and the new theologies that have crept in really downplay the value of Scripture and shift what we believe from you know, the solid rooted word of God to emotionalism and experiential Christianity. Christianity whose truth is defined by how we feel and life experiences we've had. Instead of being based on the truth of God's word as it is revealed through scripture. Now you and I both know that it really is an incredibly dangerous thing to base what you know to be true on feelings. Feelings are never a true indication of reality. Feelings sway with the wind of circumstances. Things are going well, we feel good. And so this might be true one day versus 
us not feeling so good because circumstances changed for us on this day and now what was true is not true anymore because it doesn't feel so good. Feelings are very, very dangerous to use as a basis for what's true. The thing that we need to stick to and the thing that we need to push into as Christians and as God's people that connect is God's truth revealed to us by his word. God's solid rock, which is Jesus, his word. And we know that we can stand on that because that never changes regardless of the times and the circumstances we face uh, as we move forward. But as biblical teaching is pushed aside, people are no longer standing on that solid ground. In fact, there's a growing number of people who, who, who outright confess and admit that they don't believe that there's any such thing as absolute truth in our day and age. And they remain, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, 14, as infants who are tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there with every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And then Paul adds this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, writing to Timothy about a similar thing. He says, for, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. And church, I believe we're in that time. Paul says to Timothy, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Therefore, Timothy, because this is going to happen and because this is so dangerous, he says, pay close attention to yourself to your life, to your teaching, to your doctrine, in other words. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, church, I don't know about you and I don't know about those uh, listening, um, but when I read this and when I consider this scripture, I really feel the weight of this verse on my soul. That I be one who watch my doctrine and my life closely. I feel the weight of, of responsibility because really the consequences and the stakes could not be any higher. The implications couldn't be more serious. In fact, the implications for not doing this are eternal. They're eternal either way. But Paul said to Timothy, if you get your life and your doctrine wrong, there are eternal consequences. Eternal consequences, negatively speaking, if you get it wrong. Your salvation is at stake. If you get it right, obviously, that's a good thing. And we need to persevere and make sure that we press into knowing what is truth, what is good, and what is right. So to help navigate the times we live in, God, like I said, through Paul, pens these words and essentially gives us a twofold task. Watch yourself. Watch your teaching. Or like I said, as the NIV says, watch your doctrine and watch your life closely. Now, while it, it, it is helpful to distinguish between doctrine, one's doctrine and one's life, because they are two separate things, they are also inseparable. They go hand in hand. The one informs the other. As a man thinks, so he is. What we believe informs or should inform the way we live our lives and you can know what a person truly believes and what they truly like by what they do and what they say and what they're passionate about it's what you believe in that flows out and causes you to live a certain way you know one can't really watch their life accurately unless they're watching their doctrine accurately it really does us no good whatsoever to study doctrine really well to pour ourselves into that and not apply it to our lives and live it out in other words one cannot 
watch one's doctrine to the neglect of one's life. And one can't you know, pay no attention to doctrine because what then is going to form, inform the way that we live. We must closely and consistently, not casually or occasionally, watch our doctrine and our life. So let's talk about doctrine just a little bit. 36 times the importance of doctrine is stressed in the scriptures. And that's only when the word doctrine is used. There are so many more times in the scriptures where the idea or the concept of sound doctrine is stressed. Now, I don't know about you, but in my home, uh, when something is stressed more than twice. In fact, if I've got to say to my children, I'm having to speak for the third time now. I'm really getting serious and I'm stressing the fact that I'm having to say this over and over again because what I've had to say is important and should have been heard the first time. But when it comes to being stressed 36 times, no one can say this isn't something that's important enough to pay attention to. How could anyone, when something is stressed at least 36 times directly, not pay attention? Now, just for clarity's sake, the word, the word doctrine, or what, what Paul is speaking about here when he speaks to Timothy about his teaching or his doctrine, simply put, is, 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 is what one believes as a Christian, right? or a set of beliefs held or taught by the scriptures that Christians hold to. Now, we're not talking about really complicated, complex, in-depth, deep concepts that professors argue about in the theological classrooms. Sure, theology can be complex, it can be difficult to understand, you can go deep and have really big, deep, robust debates about stuff. But but what Paul is speaking to Timothy here uh, essentially about is the nuts and bolts, the bare bones theology that makes Christianity what it is. It makes Orthodox Christianity was it what it is. It's the not so difficult stuff to, to understand. It's the stuff that we would call salvific. It's the, it's the closed-handed issues that if you deviate from this, you're no longer Christian but a cult or some sect or some weird group that believes something that is not Christian. What Paul is speaking to Timothy about and what we're being encouraged to know and to dig into and to watch closely is teachings with regards to the nature of God. And how God teaches us to relate to him and how he relates to us. How to live holy lives. What it means for God to be holy and for us to be holy. The doctrine uh, you know, that teaches us the difference between what is right and what's wrong. The doctrine of the goodness of God and the righteousness of God. To know the difference between right and wrong as God gives it to us. To know how to inherit his promises. And how to experience deep and authentic relationship with him. That's really what Paul is speaking to Timothy here about. He's speaking obviously a broad blanket statement when he says your teaching and your doctrine, you must watch it closely. But he's not talking about these deep, complex, complicated issues that we can sometimes get caught up in, which are really at the end of the day quite insignificant when it comes to one's salvation and one's Christianity. Sadly though, and, and, and alarmingly so, many people are starting to throw the idea of studying doctrine and knowing what they believe out the window. Many people are saying scripture and, 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 and doctrinal importance is, is quite unimportant. You get a lot of people who call themselves Christians but will say things like doctrine isn't important. Christianity is not about doctrine. Christianity is about relationship and relationship with Jesus is all that you need. Or they'll say things like doctrines or the study of doctrine or adhering to doctrine. Yeah, that's for the religious people of our day. 
like uh, modern-day Pharisees or the self-righteous. They're negating relationship and relationships what's more important, not doctrine. But the fact is this, church. It really is impossible to have a relationship with Jesus without solid biblical doctrine. Because the reality is that not every Jesus presented to people is the true Jesus. Not every doctrine taught by people is a biblical doctrine. And you can only really know and be sure that you are following Jesus, the King of heaven and earth, when you are following Jesus as revealed by the scriptures. And we live in a day and an age where people are going to sell you all sorts of lies about who Jesus is and what he's really like. And what is true and what is not true. But only God's word can define that for us. And we need to be a people who are watching what we believe and how we live very closely. If we don't plug ourselves into scripture, if we don't read scripture for ourselves and immerse ourselves in scripture and allow scripture to soak into our lives and for us to Eat the word of God like Jesus said we should. We don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. If we don't allow ourselves to do that, we'll be swept away with every wind and wave of teaching that comes our way. We may end up following a Jesus that isn't really Jesus at all, but some fabrication of a person's mind or imagination. This is why knowing the scriptures is so important in the world today. To know truth about God is so vitally important because our salvation and our lives and the lives of others who hear from us depend on it. You know, by, by evading and twisting and watering down doctrine, people disqualify themselves from being disciples, from being followers of Jesus. And that is an incredibly sad and serious thing. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, he says, keep my commandments. And he goes on in chapter 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does, he who does not love does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. In other words, if you don't know the word... You cannot be obedient to the word. And if you're not obedient to the word, you cannot love God. We love and we show our love for God by being obedient to his word. We know who God is through the revelation of himself, through his word to us. It's like when you're driving in a car. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Driving a car, it's happened to me so many times. You're driving in a car, you park next to a big truck, you just see these huge wheels next to you. You know you stopped, you know your car isn't moving, but all of a sudden the truck starts to move and it feels like you are rolling back. Now the first thing you do is you slam on the brakes. That's at least what I do to make sure that I'm not moving. Sometimes that doesn't help. And so what I do is I look out the window to make sure that the pavement isn't moving or that the light pole or the traffic light pole isn't moving. And one of those two things will give me security and I'll be sure that I'm not moving at all. Once I've stepped my brakes and I've looked outside, I'll realize, okay, the truck's moving. But it would be a totally different thing and weird thing if I stamped on the brakes and looked outside and the truck and the light pole and the pavement and the road and everything was moving at the same time. There'd be no way to know which was up and which was down, which was forward, which was back. It would be totally confusing. And that's what life is like without God's word. God's word functions as a break for us. Or that steadfast light pole or pavement that just assures you you're in the right place 
and nothing is happening that's not supposed to be happening on your part. If we remove that, there's no telling which way is up and which way is down and we end up lost. When it comes to identifying who God is and what he wants for us and what he's like, we need his word and we need to be studying it. And it can't always be something you receive from somebody else. I so appreciate getting to be able to preach, to be able to share and to unpack and to teach God's word. All of us who get to do that at this church and every pastor and teacher around the world, I'm sure, loves unpacking God's word. But we need to be like the Bereans who took and heard Paul's words but tested his words according to the scriptures that they had to make sure that he was teaching truth. We can't just receive stuff from people. We need to know it for ourselves to be true or not. Keeping the word of God is, is evidence Getting back to what I was saying, keeping the word of God is evidence that the love of God is in our lives, which, which means ignorance towards truth really just is an open door uh, in one's life to sinful doctrines and ungodly practices and philosophies. But this is what's true for you and me as, as Christians, as, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have the Holy Spirit who reveals truth. He leads us into all truth. Jesus says this is what he'll do. He'll counsel us and lead us into all truth. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the written word of God at our disposal. I think I have three or four Bibles in my home. And they're wonderful to read. And I love them, but I don't read them as much as I should, to be honest. But we have God's word. I can't say that I don't have that at my fingertips there to use. I have the Holy Spirit in me who reveals scripture to me. Because of that, we've got the God-given responsibility to immerse ourselves in the word, to truly understand God's desire for our lives as individuals and as a church. We have this responsibility to study it and to speak it out. And we also have the responsibility as Christians to expose false doctrine, to speak out against it, to expose false teachers and to guard ourselves and others from false doctrine and false teachers that would hinder one's salvation or be detrimental to one's spiritual health and salvation. Through true biblical doctrine, we discover what true discipleship really is like and we, and we learn how to experience God on a much deeper level. Church, it is so important that we know and we watch and we consider our doctrine, what we teach very carefully. Now, what about our lives? Because Paul says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. I started with doctrine, but I wanted to end with what I feel is in some ways really important. As much as doctrine is important, watching our lives is also just as important. We're told to watch both doctrine and our lives. They are separate issues, but at the same time, like I said, inseparable. I chose to speak about this one last because if I'm honest, I, I, I really do find it more appealing and enjoyable at times to study doctrine as opposed to studying my own soul, to studying my own heart. It's much more pleasant to, to sit down and to study scripture and to read theological books than it is to examine the motives of my heart and the motives of my life. It's much easier to, to establish what I believe in principle and technically what I believe, you know, be able to articulate that than it is to be able to examine the motives of my own heart and the reasons why I actually do what I do, which is sometimes contrary to what I say I believe. 
I think we all are in that same boat. And I think lockdown over 2020 did that for a lot of us, where it caused us to be alone with ourselves. And instead of being busy and keeping ourselves intellectually occupied with work or whatever it is that we were doing, we were all of a sudden alone with ourselves and we got to, I don't know, contemplate maybe who we really were on the inside and what our lives were really like. We might have had sound doctrinal beliefs and intellect with regards to doctrine that might have been there. Understanding might have been there, but living it out might have been a totally different thing for you and you came to terms maybe like I did with some of the very real, not so nice stuff within you. The Puritan uh, Richard Baxter once wrote and he said this, it is a palpable error of some who study hard to preach exactly, yet study very little or not at all to live exactly. And that's not just for preachers and people in full-time ministry. I think it's for every Christian. We can study so hard to be right on a topic intellectually and technically but when we look at our own lives our lives are void or devoid of any of that practice which we believe to be so true obviously doctrine like i said is of huge importance and of huge value but sound doctrine really when we read the scripture is not enough knowledge of scripture alone is not sufficient and we see this in the book of james james reminds us he says hey be doers of the word not only hearers only if you do this you'll be deceiving yourselves this verse from james tells us that apart from doing to just have knowledge is dangerous it it leads to being puffed up and proud and it's a deceptive thing to think that just because you have knowledge you're growing as a christian or that you're godly that you're even saved There really is a real problem when we assume that merely attending church or listening to a sermon or reading a theological book or the Bible itself, we have a problem when we think those actions signify actual change. You know, so often I've felt that I'm maturing when I've listened to a really good sermon. Or I'm really maturing when I've prepared a a really good sermon or a sermon that I feel, you know, is like from the Lord and there's really none of me in it. I feel like I've really matured when I've read a theological book, I've spent some time with the Lord, and maybe at times it's true. But we can deceive ourselves into thinking that by doing spiritual, godly, Christian things means that we're maturing the way we would if we actually had to live those things out. There's a difference. Living out truth and acting out truth brings about spiritual maturity and growth exponentially faster than it does if you just read and study, and make it intellectual and academic. In fact, sometimes you grow very little and can end up deceiving yourself if that's all you do. We can all be deeply moved by profoundly scriptural truths, but never actually grow in godliness because we never live it out. There's a gentleman by the name of James Peter Davidson, and he says this, No matter how extensive one's scriptural knowledge Or how amazing one's memory is. It is self-deception if that is all there is. True knowledge is the prelude to action. And it is obedience to the word that counts in the end. As Christians, we can live our lives filled with the reading and the studying of scripture and listening to sermons and sermon sharing and life group attending. But truth must be known. It has to be proclaimed And it has to be applied. It has to be heard. It has to be preached. And it has to be lived out. It has to be practiced. Because until we practice truth, church, until we know it and until we practice it, 
we'll never really experience the transforming power or effect of that truth. To know doctrine is one thing, but to live it out is another. You need both of them hand in hand to grow as a Christian and to live godly lives and to inherit what Jesus has for you to inherit when he returns to take us to be with him. Just a side note, as I said that, I realize some people may be saying or thinking to themselves, am I suggesting that we are saved by works? No, we are saved by grace. But God in his wisdom, once he has saved us, chooses to work through us and to do things or to give us responsibilities that go hand in hand with what he's doing in us. And I think we're saved and are being saved. And I think there is responsibility on our side. And like I've preached before, and you can go and listen to that sermon online somewhere, I think it's possible that we step into a place where we can actually uh, commit apostasy, reject Jesus and lose our salvation. And I think it is incumbent on us, once we've received the free gift of grace, which is our salvation from Jesus, that we walk out our lives in gratitude to Christ for that by showing obedience to him and his word. I just wanted to clarify that. You know, C.J. Mahaney explained it like this. C.J. Mahaney wrote a wonderful article on this. If, if you would like to read it, please contact me. I will email it to you. But in speaking about the scripture... In this article that he wrote, he says, Faith practices truth by crying out to God in the midst of suffering. Love practices truth by actions of kindness and patience. Humility practices truth by specific confession of sin. Forgiveness practices truth by overlooking an offense. Hope practices truth by recalling the mercies of God. Indeed, I have never truly fully learned truth until I have practiced truth. As Christians, I think we need to be really honest in and recognize the limitations of sound doctrine and make the practice of sound doctrine a daily reality. We really never, never should stop watching our lives. But for some of us, like myself, openly admit and confess there are times where I pay very little attention to my life and to my doctrine and become caught up in other things and become a little bit proud perhaps and arrogant, nearsighted to think that I've got it all sorted and that the enemy's attacks or the sinful flesh won't raise itself up and cause issues for me. I think that's one of the things that causes us to, to, to not be as intently active as we should be in watching our doctrine and our lives closely. We fail to, to watch our lives closely because we fail to recognize and, and, and we forget that within our hearts lies an incredibly dangerous enemy. An enemy dead set against the pursuit of God and godliness. And Paul to the Galatians describes it so vividly. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirits. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now what Paul is speaking about here is not the struggle that a non-Christian has. A pre-conversion description of somebody. This is a post-conversion description of somebody. This is Paul describing the battle that's going on within a Christian. It's that war that rages within a regenerated heart. It's, it's that it's that sin, it's, it's that fleshly nature that still wants to rear itself up. You know, we are made new, we're forgiven, we're clean, the old is gone but the, and, and the new has come. But we still live in a broken world where we're still subject to temptation and sin. And we've got to constantly put to death the old self and live in the new self. 
Sin still remains and is ever present in the heart of every believer until one day we are with Jesus again. And our sinful flesh and the sinful desires really, man, it is tenacious, it is destructive, and it is relentless. Therefore, we are commanded to keep a close watch on our lives and our doctrine. Because we have an ever active and ever present enemy within us. Now, I just want to say this as well. I, you know, I was really convicted the one day I was listening to a sermon many, many years ago. And every mess up I made as a young Christian, I would like blame it on the devil. Blame it on the devil. Blame it on the enemy. Blame it on the demons. Blame it. You know, it's like, it's, it's my enemy. Get behind me, Satan. Until somebody said to me one day, not directly to me, but it was the Lord speaking to me through someone who was preaching. And it felt like God was speaking directly to me. They're like, when are you going to take ownership for your own mistakes and stop blaming Satan? And that's not to say that the enemy isn't at work, but I think we sometimes horribly underestimate the wickedness of our own brokenness. And sometimes Satan and demonic forces aren't even involved. It's just the brokenness of our flesh and our sinful nature that causes us to sin. You know, Satan is a finite being. He is not all present. He is not all-knowing and he's not all-powerful. He, Satan himself, can only be in one place at one given time, at any time. And so it's very difficult for me to accept that Satan himself is at work in my life directly. When I remember that and I think about that, sometimes it's actually just me and my brokenness. Yes, there may be times where there's demonic influence and temptation and the forces of darkness in the heavenly realms, which is our enemy, as Paul describes, are at work in our lives and capitalizing on our fleshly nature, on weaknesses in our lives or circumstances and situations in our lives. But if we're constantly blaming external forces and we forget the evil that is within and how we need God to help us to work through that, I think we can be nearsighted and fall short far more often than we think. And we've always got something or someone else to blame except ourselves. And I think as Christians, we need to humble ourselves sometimes and go, God, actually, this is just me and my heart and my sinful nature. Please redeem me. Don't let the enemy use this or get a hold of this or in any way get a foothold because of my brokenness. Heal me. Let me submit this to you. God, I repent of this. I own this. You make me whole. Your blood has cleansed me. I think sometimes we need to own up to our own mistakes and stop looking outwards to blame something else. It was John Piper who said, a Christian is not somebody who doesn't have any temptation in their lives. A Christian is someone who is at war with that temptation. And that really defines the Christian life. There's no temptation that will overcome us that we aren't able to get through without Jesus at our side. He said he's promised to give us a way out. But our lives are a constant wrestle, working out our faith with fear and trembling, walking humbly before our God, repenting, recognizing the sin that's within, the old nature that wants to keep rearing its head up, pushing that down, repenting, rebuking, and making sure that that submits to the will of God in our lives. I remember listening to another story, and this has been told and, and reworked and re-engineered so many different ways. I don't know where this original story came from, but I was told it like this. You know, when it comes to your spirit and the flesh, your, your selfish, wicked desires from your old life versus your new self that Jesus has made you into, when it comes to determining who's going to win, um, a disciple was, work, was walking with the person that was discipling them and they were speaking about the struggle. And, 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 and the young person asked the older person, you know, how do I know which is going to win? Because sometimes it feels like there's this war between two dogs within me. An evil one and a good one. 
And the person who was discipling him turned to him and said, the dog that is going to win is the one that you feed the most. In other words, it's going to be the one that you spend the most, most time nurturing, the one that you feed the most and that you strengthen the most. And church, this is exactly what Paul is saying to Timothy. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Watch your life. Feed your spiritual life by knowing what is true. Spend time in the scriptures. Know your doctrine. Know your word. You immerse yourself in the word. And apply it to your life. If you sow to please the flesh, God's word says, from the flesh you'll reap destruction. But you sow to please the spirit and from the spirit you'll reap eternal life. That's what God's word says to us. So we sow to please the spirit and from the spirit we reap eternal life. And so we feed that part of our lives by immersing ourselves in God's word in prayer and applying those truths to our lives and actually living them out. And our spiritual woman and our spiritual man grows and gets strengthened and is encouraged and becomes bold and strong and stout and steadfast. And we're able to live as God has called us to live. But when we sow to please the flesh and we become ignorant and arrogant and stagnant in our faith, we never open the word, we never spend time in prayer, we never apply God's truth to our lives, it just maybe remains intellectual head knowledge, we just grow weaker. All that you have to do to lose muscle in your life, speaking about someone who wants to keep fit, is just not use it. You don't have to do anything detrimental to it, you just have to not use it. Don't use it, you lose it. It's the same with our spiritual fitness and our spiritual nature. We don't feed it. We don't use it. We don't live it out. You don't have to do anything else, but just leave it. And you'll begin to lose it and fade and fade and fade. And so church, I want to encourage you as we move forward into the new year. Do you labor? Do you work hard? Are you going at it full ball to become wise about doctrine, about what God's word is, what it says about truth, so that you're not swayed here and there by every wind of teaching and by emotionalism and experience uh, in life? Do you, are you learning to, to grow wise about yourself and about your soul? Do you study the word and do you study yourself? Do you commit to doing that? As we watch our life and as we watch our doctrine closely and persistently, with the help of others, we can expect this most incredible reward, this most astonishing outcome. Here's what Paul says to Timothy in chapter 4.16. Right at the end, he says, if you continue to do this, if you continue to persist in understanding God's word, knowing what is truth, watching your doctrine, remaining firm on the truth, regardless of how it makes you feel, or regardless of what experiences you or others may have had, if you stay true to what God's word teaches and you apply it to your life, if you do this, you will save both yourselves, both yourself and those who hear you. I don't know about you, that sounds really good to me. And my commitment to you and my commitment to myself and to my family and to those who know me for this year, it's not a New Year's resolution. It's just an ongoing thing that God has put on my heart, whether it has for many, many years since I got saved, put on my heart, and that's to know Him more, to walk with Him more, and to be more faithful to Him in the things that I do. But for this year, I really want to strive to do that more so that I may grow, my family is impacted. And the church I get to serve in benefits from that as well. And I would love to benefit from that being true in your life. So bless you. I want to pray for you. But these are some of the things that I feel like God wants to deal with and to think about as we go into a time now of whatever it is that you're going to do after this. But maybe we need to repent of a, of a, of a lack of zeal for his word. A lack of time set aside to study his word. 
May we, we need to pray for renewed zeal and love for his word. Pray for renewed understanding. Maybe we need to repent of not living out these things that we've been so zealous to study. We need to pray for, against and repent for being hypocritical in our living. Where we know something to be true but we live a different way. And maybe we need to pray and ask God that we gain a knowledge and understanding of his word. And that we love it so much that we just live it out. I pray that the new year will be one of personal reading of scripture. And immersion in scripture for you and for me. And of understanding and of practically living it out. These things that we know to be true. I pray for that in Jesus name. So Father we, we pray these things for our lives. We, we repent of where we've been. Lord slothful perhaps with regards to picking up the scriptures and studying where we've thought that that was reserved only for the spiritually elite. Lord, forgive us for even thinking that that sort of category even exists. And Lord, help us to assume the responsibility you've given us, that each and every single one of us has. Lord, help us to remember that it's incumbent upon us, that it's a command given to us by you to search the scriptures, to know what is truth, to know what we're teaching, to pay attention to our doctrine. And then to live it out in Jesus' name. For the glory of your name, Lord. Bless us in this way. Strengthen us as individuals and as a church and as families in this way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Church, it's been wonderful being with you. I trust that you have a lovely rest of your day. If you'd love to chat with me, you can contact me at uh, roland at connectchurch.org.za or get hold of the church office. They would love to put you in contact with me or a relevant pastor should you desire ministry or to chat about anything that you want to chat about with regards to my message today. Bless you. Trust that you were blessed. Until next time. Bye.